Hello, and welcome to Refuge Church Podcast. My name is Nicole, and I'm one of the pastors here at Refuge. And this week, we continue our Thanksgiving series entitled, Thank You, God. This week, David takes us on a journey through thankfulness in the harvest, stopping and pausing and being thankful for the abundance of God's love and grace in our lives. Not wanting for more, not wishing for more, but being happy and content with all that's going on in our lives right now. As you listen to this message, just contemplate on all the blessings God has given you. Let him speak to your heart and work in your life as you say, thank you, God, in the harvest. Now, as we continue this Thanksgiving series, Thank You, God, tonight we're going to look at Thank You, God, in the Harvest. Now, on the way to church tonight, I'm talking to Adrian about tonight's message, and I said to him, I just feel like I'm all over the place with my sermon tonight. So when we get back in the car after church, I just need you to tell me if I was all over the place tonight in my sermon. And my lovely husband had the nerve to say, you mean I have to pay attention tonight? I'm like, yes, dear, you have to pay attention to me tonight. So as we look at, thank you, God, and the harvest, the word harvest can mean so many different things to so many different people. And it probably means something different to each person in this room tonight. So discussing what the word harvest means to you, I think we would be here all night long. So let's look at what Webster's Dictionary defines harvest as. And it defines it as both a noun and a verb. Webster's Dictionary as a noun defines it as the season for gathering in agricultural crops. The act or process of gathering in a crop or a mature crop as of grain or fruit. Now it also defines it as a verb, saying it is to gather in a crop, which is the word reap, which is what we'll be looking at tonight as well, or to gather, catch, hunt, or kill for human use, sport, or population control. So now let's keep those definitions at the forefront of our brains because we are going to come back to those. But tonight I want to begin with a true story. A few weeks ago, I had decided to buy a few scratch-off tickets for Adrian and myself. We do that from time to time. Now before y'all get all judgy on me... Since I just said the no-no word uh, behind the pulpit, I said scratch-off ticket. Now, I can see in some of your faces, especially if you grew up Southern Baptist like I did, I can see the wheels turning in your brain. And your brain is basically talking to yourself saying, now did he just say he bought some scratch-off tickets? Is that pastor playing the lottery? Is that pastor gambling? Is that what I hear? Now, back in the Southern Baptist Church that I grew up in, that's what they sound like and probably what they would be saying. But let me put some things in perspective for you. If you drove here tonight to church, or if you rode with somebody here tonight to church, or if you rode a bicycle here tonight to church, 
one thing is clear. Every time you get on the roads in Southwest Florida, you are gambling. And it's not with $10. It's with your life. And when we drove back from North Georgia, well, we flew back. But when we got back to Florida, the only thing I kept saying to Adrian was, it is Florida. I mean, that's the way it is. So now let's get back to my story. Now, I don't know if you've ever bought a scratch-off ticket before. I brought an example. Don't judge me. All right. First of all, this is not the actual uh, scratch-off that I'm talking about tonight. This is just an example, children. Okay? All right. So at the very top of this scratch-off, this is your winning number line. Okay? So first off, you scratch this off. Now, I'm the type of person. Now, some people just go and they buy the scratch-off. Then they scratch off the bottom part and they scan it. And they just want to see if they won. What's the fun in that? You have to scratch off the winning numbers, then scratch off each number individually. And then if you match, then you scratch to see what you just want. And it takes me about 30 minutes to do one card because I want to make sure that I've got everything right. So that night I bought several scratch off tickets and I'm standing in the kitchen busily scratching off my numbers when I got a match. Now, one of my winning numbers at the top was the number 24, okay? Now, as I was scratching all of these numbers down here, guess what? I came across the number 24. So then I I proceeded to scratch below the number 24 to see how much money I had won. And as I began to scratch off to see my winnings, I noticed something that I have never seen before. Because the winning amount I had just scratched off, and this is a true story, said $1 million. I just stood there for what seemed like an eternity. I just stared at that number And just kept looking up at Adrian, who was paying no attention to me because he was busily scratching off his scratch off. And I'm looking at my number again, looking at him, looking at my number. And then all of a sudden, I started to think about all the things that we are going to do with that money. I thought about the Porsche 911 that my husband has been wanting his entire life for. And now we get to get him his car. The scenarios I kept playing over and over in my head were about to come to reality. I'm screaming silently in my brain, we won. I'm screaming inside of my brain, we're rich, we're millionaires. Is this really happening I kept staring at my scratch-off, and then I kept looking at Adrian in disbelief and staring at my scratch-off. I was holding back tears of joy and was just about to show him our winning ticket. When all of a sudden, I took a closer look at the winning number that I had scratched off. And I noticed that there was this like this teeny, this teeny, 
tiny little dot, like a little piece of dirt, mind you, just teeny. Little, this little, just, and I'm like, oh, I, I just need to wipe this off just before I show him my winnings. Like, you're going to get a Porsche 911. I just need to make sure it's clean before I show you. And so with my little end of my fingernail right there, I just wipe that dirt off, right? Just wipe it off. And my number went from a 24 to a 29. I felt like someone had punched me in the stomach. I watched my husband Porsche 911 being flushed down the toilet. And it was all gone. For a brief moment there, we were millionaires. Until a piece of dirt screwed that up. I was so mad at that moment. We could have been rich. All of our dreams were now a figment of my imagination. Now, why am I telling you this story? Well, we are thanking God during the harvest season in our lives. And for that brief second, I thought that Adrian and I had just reaped a huge harvest. We were rich. Well, so I thought very briefly. But what if we really did win? Is that really a harvest for us? Would that really change our lives? Would we be happier if we had that much money in our bank account? Maybe. And then again, maybe not. Winning the lottery has nothing to do with having a harvest in each of our lives. Having a great deal of wealth really has nothing to do with having a bountiful harvest in our lives. In fact, according to the National Endowment for Financial Education, 70% of lottery winners go bankrupt within a few years. They found that obtaining more money often leads to careless spending And the desire to get more money and has often destroyed relationships in the lives of those who won and their families. Whew. Guess me and Adrian dodged a bullet there, (laughs) didn't we? So when we go back to those definitions of the word harvest and the fact that it can mean something different to each one of us, I think it's important that we look at what Jesus says about harvest as well, because the word harvest in scripture is an agricultural term, one term that the people back then can very well relate to. Now, I grew up, like I said earlier, in the mountains of North Carolina. I am no stranger to farm life and no stranger to what a real harvest looks like when it comes to that way of life. During the summer when I was a kid, I did not get to enjoy the beauty of sleeping in on a Saturday morning. My mom would get us out of bed so we could go sit on the front porch with the entire family. And when I say the entire family, the entire family, like aunts, uncles, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, great-great-great-grandparents that had been dead for a hundred years, they've decided to come back and join us too. And so we sat on the front porch as a family because it was either bean season, corn season, potato season. There was always a season during the summer and all of us kids hated it. And there we all were on the front porch 
stringing and breaking beans, shucking corn, following the tractor or driving the tractor in the garden to pick up the potatoes. But one thing I can remember from those days were the stories from my grandparents and my great-grandparents, stories from their childhood. And I found out that each story would be worse than the last. It was like they would try to one-up the last story with their own miserable life story. It was stories, of course, you've heard it, having to walk to school in the snow, barefoot, uphill, both ways. And if they didn't have enough food from the garden one year, then they would eat nothing but dirt. They would have to wash their clothes down at the creek on rocks. They would have to take a bath in the freezing cold creek because they did not have hot water. Some I have exaggerated, but not really, but you get my point. And all the while, as I would listen to these stories from my great-grandparents, they would end their stories with, and we were thankful to get it. That part I did not understand. You mean to tell me you ate nothing but dirt, and you were thankful to eat that dirt? Yes. But in looking back at it now, their gratitude had nothing to do with what they didn't have. Their gratitude was for what they actually did have. But most of us today forget the things that we do have when we wake up every morning. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, then you are more blessed than the six million people in this world who will actually not survive this week. If you have never experienced the danger of war or starvation, then you are more blessed than 500 million people in the world today. If you can attend a church without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, then you are more blessed than 3 billion people in the world today. If you have money in the bank, in your wallet, or even spare change in your car you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthiest people. So with that being said, let's examine what harvest really means. When we read scripture and harvesting, we can see that it was common then because so much of what people relied on came from agriculture and farming. Their entire livelihood came from either a good harvest or a bad one, depending on what kind of season they had during the course of the year. So when Jesus, Paul, or anyone else in Scripture talks about harvesting, people understood that term. Why? Because they lived it. Now, most of us today have not lived that kind of life. We don't understand the concept of harvesting a crop and what all that entails. So tonight we are going to look at the symbolic meaning of harvest in Scripture. And that really it revolves around two main areas in Scripture. One is God's blessings for us. And one is God's blessings for others. We're going to start with the words of Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 9, verse, starting in verses 37. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, I love it when Jesus refers to God in Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, as the Lord of the harvest. You know, most evangelical pastors and churches today preach this passage that we just read as a way to tell their congregants that they are to go out into the world and evangelize, to share the gospel of Jesus. But keep in mind, when Jesus said this, he said this before his death and resurrection. So he really wasn't talking about that just yet. He was talking about something else. He was talking about God's blessing for others. He was talking about going out and reaping this harvest. What does that mean? Jesus wanted to send out his followers into the world to offer peace. Embodying peace. Because that's what Jesus came to offer people was peace and love. He wanted them to demonstrate peace by their behavior, by the love and acceptance and the sharing that they had with one another, by working together, by embodying peace, justice, respect, compassion, and generosity. They are showing people what the realm of God and what the kingdom of God is really like. They are offering people a new world view, a way to be in right relationship with other people, even those people that they may consider an enemy. Even in times of desperation and fear, Jesus wanted them to demonstrate reverence for God and reverence for one another. He wanted them to bring peace to the world at a time when it is desperately needed. That is what Jesus meant. Can you relate that to what's going on in the world around us right now? Absolutely. And why did he say this? Well, we can look at that in the previous verse, in verse 36, where it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It makes me wonder when I read that, what would those people then consider a harvest in their own lives? They seemed, as what we read here, to have no direction. They had been harassed. They had been bullied and they had been afflicted. So just the idea of someone bringing them peace would be enough harvest for them. So again, I want to ask each of us to examine our own lives. When we hear the word harvest, what comes to your mind? And in thinking about that question, I want to look at another passage where Jesus refers to a harvest yet again. It's found in John chapter 4, starting in verse 34 and 35, where Jesus says this, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. Basically, Jesus is saying, go ahead, look around you. It's already here. And see that the fields are white for harvest. Then we can jump to verses 37 and 38 where Jesus says this. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. 
I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered in into their labor. Now this conversation that Jesus is having here in John chapter 4, he's having it between him and his disciples. And he's having this conversation right after he has that famous conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. And this is a big deal because this is when Jesus tells this woman that a time was coming when she would be made worthy through Jesus himself. Because as a Samaritan woman, she was considered unworthy by the religious leaders. And Jesus came to turn all of that mess upside down, or as I like to say, right side up. Where Jesus is telling the Samaritan woman and then his disciples in this conversation, don't pay attention to the foundations of the Levitical law. Rather, I'm going to rock that foundation and I'm going to tear the curtain in half in order for all to be welcome to reap the benefits of God's harvest through himself. So harvesting impacts us all in different ways and at different times. But see, in order to have a harvest, you have to plant seeds and you have to sow those seeds. Now, if you sowed seeds of corn, guess what? That's what you're going to reap and harvest if you know how to do it right. If you don't, then you're just going to kill the seeds instead of sow the seeds. If you sowed seeds of corn, that's what you're going to reap. If you sowed seeds of green beans, That is what you will reap and harvest. And keep in mind that there are certain ways seeds need to be planted. Green bean seed, for instance, you should wait till the evening temperatures regularly stays above 55 degrees before planting. Planting corn is a little bit more complicated than that. Corn is sensitive to frost, so you can't plant seeds until the soil temperatures are above 60 degrees. You can't plant in single rows You have to plant in blocks because corn is wind pollinated. You have to sow seeds about one and a half to two inches deep and 12 inches apart. Believe me, I've heard this growing up my entire life. And that's just the introduction on planting corn. Now, if you are that enthused and want to know more about planting corn then I will gladly give you my mother's contact information and she can give you more details after church. But not that I see that many people interested on how to plant corn down here. But that's not my point. My point and the point I think Jesus was trying to make is the fact that as we go throughout life, we all are going to sow seeds. Those seeds we sow can be a harvest to both the world around us In our own personal lives. God's blessing to others. God's blessing to us. So how does one reap in a season of harvest? Well first we need to remember how the seeds we sow affect the world around us. We all have to remember that we all plant seeds. And we will get what we sow. We will harvest what 
we sow. If we planted seeds for corn, we will not get green beans. If you plant seeds of hatred, division, and anger, then you're not going to get love, kindness, and peace. We will not reap anything good by having an us versus them mentality. We will not reap good seeds by separating ourselves from those who need us the most. We cannot reap good seeds by placing politics at the forefront of our mission and purpose. People will see the seeds we are sowing by our actions and our words. They will see the seeds we are sowing based on how we love God and how we love other people. They will see the seeds we are sowing by the forgiveness we display to others, by admitting where we've been wrong, by taking care of those around us. We reap by loving first. By taking care of those around us, loving God first, and then loving others. Loving those who think, look, vote, and live differently than we do. And believe me, when we do that, the harvest, the reward in turn, is much greater for us than it is for those who see all of this. Because of what this does in our own hearts and lives. Which brings me to my next point. The harvest is also God's blessing for us. Because not only will the world see the seeds we sow and how that harvest looks, but we will see it in our own lives as well. As we enter this Thanksgiving season, let's examine our own harvest that God has blessed us with. The seeds we have sown in others this year. The seeds we have sown in others by our actions and our deeds. We should ask ourselves this question this Thanksgiving season. How has someone else been blessed by the seeds I have sown this year? And then ask yourself this question. How have I been blessed by the seeds I have sown? Or by the harvest God has given me this year? The first blessing I want us all to rally around comes from the words of Jesus himself. We read about it earlier when Jesus says in John 4, 37 through 38, he says this, for here the saying holds true. We're going to read this again. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. When I read this passage, something jumped out at me that I have never thought about before. And I've read this verse many, many times over many years in ministry. And I never thought about it this way. And it was like the Holy Spirit was like, do you see what I'm trying to say at this, in this verse right here? And then I started to do some research. And I couldn't find that interpretation anywhere in any commentary at all. So it was pretty cool to me that I think that the Holy Spirit was just speaking to me during this point and wanted me to see what Jesus meant in this verse. Because Jesus meant that he was sent to reap the harvest for which we will not sow or labor. Jesus is sending us to reap the benefits and continue to enter into the work that he will ultimately labor 
on the cross where he will level the playing field just as he promised the Samaritan woman where she will have equal access to God just as the religious leaders did of that day. Those verses to me mean that we are reaping the harvest of what Jesus did on the cross and thus conquering death. We are able to enjoy the abundance of eternal life through his suffering And thus he invites us to show others the benefits of that harvest in our lives. So do you think that if that scratch off that I mentioned earlier of my sermon really had us winning a million dollars, you think that would have made us happy? It may for a short time, but I would be like most people are right after celebrating Thanksgiving. Many people move from Thanksgiving to Black Friday. And their thinking goes from what they are thankful for to what they want already. That million dollars would only satisfy me for a season. But my relationship and what I just read about what Jesus says, my relationship with Jesus is far more valuable than one million dollars ever thought about being. Because only Jesus can forgive me of my sins. Only Jesus can redeem my life. Give me love and compassion that no one else can possibly give. And that is a true blessing of harvest right there. That is a true blessing of the harvest that we get to benefit from. Because Jesus sowed those seeds on the cross. God allows us to reap his harvest for us through the sacrificial death and the resurrection of Jesus. I get to spend an eternity with the one who died on a cross for me and ultimately conquered death for me. And yet he continues to bless me with other things in my life. My own personal harvest. My own personal blessings. Now, I want to close with two stories where God has been there to remind me the blessings of the harvest that he has given in my own life. In times where I lost sight of those things and I have even grown mad at God and even more than that, gotten pissed at God. It's okay. He knows I was pissed at him, so I can say that word. That's not news to him. This past week, seven years ago, on Tuesday, my family had to be reminded of one of the worst days in our lives. November 7th, 2016, I got a phone call from my sister at 4 a.m. When I answered, all I could hear was screaming and sirens in the background. She then told me that I needed to come home because mom and dad's house was burning down. And then she said this, it's gone, David. The entire house is gone. Now, this was my childhood home. My parents built this house when I was a baby. This was the house I grew up in. This was the house where we celebrated All holidays. This was the house where the door was never locked. And it was a beacon to the community to just stop in and say hello anytime you wanted to. And my parents lost everything that day. 
My childhood memories were all gone. But it was within those next few days, weeks, and months where I reached a new level in my relationship with God. At that time, I was mad at him, like I just said. But what's more than that, I was pissed at him. I was so pissed at him that I even bought a book titled, (laughs) How to Pray When You're Pissed at God. Or anyone else for that matter. (laughs) God knew I was mad. It was nothing new to him. I was mad because I was seeing my parents hurting. I was mad because everything they had worked their entire life for was gone in just a few seconds. And it took me a while to wrap my brain around the events that happened. But God showed me the harvest in my life, even during one of the worst times of my life. You know, we would spend every Thanksgiving at my parents' house. We would average around 40 people every year. My parents' house was a staple in the community. Everyone knew that if they wanted a hot homemade biscuit, then just walk in the door. They'll be ready. Well, this year, there was no door to walk into. That picture right there was the kitchen and the dining room where we used to gather every holiday. So that year we had Thanksgiving in my sister's garage, which she lives next door to my parents. And it was on that Thanksgiving day where I realized the harvest that I had in my own life. Now I'm known by my family to take pictures. I'm known by my family to be the sentimental slob. I have two sisters. I'm the only boy, and I'm the sentimental slob. It's true. Me and my dad are the crybabies. We admit it. We don't care. So I like to capture moments in time. And I like to look back at those moments and remember. That day I couldn't resist capturing those memories because it reminds me of the harvest in my own life. I look at the picture of what happened to my parents' house. Then I look at the picture of what was happening in my sister's garage on that Thanksgiving day. Because in those pictures, my family was still together. We still gathered together to eat. We had the same meal as always. I heard laughter And I heard conversation. And in those moments, we were all together and we weren't thinking about what happened to the house. That was what was left of of it sitting next door. But at that time, we were living in the moment, thanking God for what we had. You see, the firefighters told us that my parents had just a few seconds to get out of the house due to how fast it spread. It spread so fast, only one smoke detector had time to go off. So the fact that I got to put my arms around my parents on that Thanksgiving day in my sister's garage in 2016 was truly my harvest then. Which brings me to present day. Now, when the pastoral team was discussing the series... And who would be preaching what? Brian asked if I would preach on thank you God in the harvest. 
Well, immediately I asked if I could preach on thank you, God, in the waiting, because that is exactly what I'm experiencing right now. And immediately Brian and Nicole shot me down from that one and both said no. They wanted me to preach on the harvest. And to be totally transparent, I did not want to. I did not want to get up here and preach on Thank you, God, in the harvest because of where we are right now. I felt like I could relate more to either chaos or waiting rather than the harvest. But after talking with them more about it, they knew exactly why I needed to preach this one. As most of you know, Adrian and I are in the process of adopting a baby. And that process was exciting at the beginning. We were told after we were approved by the adoption agency and the home study that it could be any time when we get that phone call. It could be any time. And they also told us that waiting could be stressful too. And I was like, nah, we're going to surely get picked pretty quickly. Because, hey, let's face it, we're pretty awesome, especially my husband. So they'll look at him and be like, hey, he's hot. Let's pick him anyway. (laughs) Well, that was two years ago, and here we are. Still here, still no baby, still waiting. All the while, we have had to go to our friend's gender reveal parties our friends' baby showers, see friends on social media get matched with their baby only months after getting approved from the home study. And yet, two years later, here we are, waiting. So as the days and the months passed, I got more and more irritated. I would look at the newsletters from the adoption agency, seeing all these parents getting babies Even calling Adrian at work and be like, why do they get this child and why can't we find one? Look at, I mean, really, they already have three. They don't need another one. We just want one. So I would get more and more irritated. And now our home study has to be updated yet again, which requires more paperwork, more money, more time, and more waiting. So I began to pray every day a simple prayer. Every morning when I woke up and when I passed by the nursery, I would say this prayer. Lord, please bless us with a phone call today. And that was it. And I would go about my day. I would walk by the baby's nursery before I would even go downstairs to have my coffee. And I would put my hand on that baby's nursery and say, Lord, please bless us with a phone call today. And I found that as I kept doing that, my attitude toward God in the whole adoption process was getting even more sour. I would wake up and be like, another day. Bless us with a phone call today. Go by the door. Bless us with a phone call today. Every day, 
after day after day. And then one morning, I woke up and this verse popped in my mind. It was Philippians 4, verse 6, and I love how the New Living Translation puts it. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. All right, God, that's what I've been doing. Tell God what you need. That's what I've been doing. And thank him for all he has done. After that verse popped in my head, I realized one important part of my prayer that I had left out. I kept asking God to bless us with a phone call, but neglected to do what Paul says in the last part of that verse. Thank him for all he has done. I was irritated with the fact that we were still waiting two years later that I had forgotten the harvest that God had blessed me with on that day and even today. Now, I'm not saying that I do this every morning. I'm not perfect, nor do I stand here and tell you that I'm like Mother Teresa and I'm BFFs with the Lord all the time because, frankly, I get mad at him sometimes still. Sometimes I wake up and my back is hurting too much to even say a word to him. Sometimes I forget and just walk by the nursery and not say a word because I did not sleep good the night before. It's what happens when you sleep with four dogs and a snoring husband. But I try to do this every day. And for the most part, it has helped me and it has changed my perspective on my day. Now I begin my prayer by mentioning at least one thing to thank God for in my life. And when I look at everything I have in my life to be thankful for today, it changes me. You see, most of, some of you know, a lot of you may not know that before moving here, I lost everything that I had in North Carolina. When I moved here to be a principal in Marco Island, I did not know a single person. I left North Carolina. I left all of my family. I left all of my friends to move to a strange place where I knew absolutely nobody. And I took that leap of faith. Starting over was scary to me. But whenever I look at my life, And I look at what God has done for me over the past three and a half years. It changes me to think of the harvest that God has given me. So whenever I get up in the morning, even before I get out of bed, I start going through things in my life that I have to be, that I have God to be thankful for. For the bountiful harvest that God has given me. I'm married to my best friend, who I never thought I would find, ever. He is the love of my life, and aside from my relationship with Jesus, he's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I thank God for him every day. And it's been easy to see the harvest that God has blessed me with when I take what Paul says and I Thank God, thank my God for the harvest, my marriage, my four fur babies, a beautiful home, family and friends who love us 
and accepting and accepts us. Finding refuge church and making this our church home. And serving as one of the pastors here. And worshiping with you here without judgment. And the list goes on and on and on. So I may not have won a million dollars on a scratch off. And I may not have a baby or that phone call just yet. But I've still hit the jackpot with everything that I have been blessed with. With the harvest that God has provided me. Yeah, the waiting has been excruciating. And it sucks. It sucks to see babies with all of our friends. And it sucks to see babies out in public in a stroller. Don't worry, I'm not going to take anybody's child. It sucks waiting. But every day I get to wake up and see all of the harvest that the Lord of the harvest has given me. And it first starts with the Lord Jesus himself. That's the first harvest that I get to enjoy. Is my relationship with Jesus. He is the Lord of the harvest because he had to sow the seed of death on the cross in my place. In order for me to be able to wake up and thank him for the harvest in my life. As the band comes up and as we close, I know some of you are sitting here and you are having a hard time even thinking about a harvest in your life. The good things that have blessed you this year. Maybe you've lost someone you love this past year and you're having to spend Thanksgiving and Christmas without them for the first time. Maybe you're dealing with an illness or someone you know is. Or you're dealing with financial issues or job issues. And you're trying to think about a good harvest in your life right now. And nothing is even remotely coming to your mind. That's okay. You might be in the season of chaos or the season of waiting. And if you want to borrow my book, How to Pray When You're Pissed at God, I have it with me. You can borrow it. But no matter what stage you are in today, one thing is for certain. Jesus is still the same. He is here with us. He hasn't changed. No matter if we're in chaos, no matter if we're waiting, or no matter if we're in the harvest. He hasn't changed. And he's here with us no matter where we are and no matter what season we are in our lives and as we close I want us to do something I want us to each close our eyes and this may be hard for some and that's okay if you're willing I want you to close your eyes and think of just one thing that you can thank God for when the phrase thank you God for comes to your mind is there at least one thing that you can name and it doesn't have to be anything huge 
If thanking him for getting you out of bed this morning is a big deal for you, then by all means, thank him for that. Because he meets you where you are, in the circumstances that you are facing right now, in the chaos, in the waiting, in the harvest. Just tell him what's on your heart at that moment. He hears you. And it's no surprise to him. Whatever you say to him, it's not going to come as a shock to him. Let's pray. Father, as we come together tonight and we worship you, Lord, some of us in this room might be having a hard time thinking about the harvest in our own lives due to the chaos, due to the waiting, due to the circumstances that we are in right now. It might be hard for some to be thankful for just one thing, and that's okay. You know where each of us are in our walks with you. So, Father, as we continue in this time of worship, as we sing praises to you, as we close this time of worship, Holy Spirit, I pray that you move in this place. And maybe you come up to each one of us individually and you'd be like, you know, this one thing I gave you. Or you have this at home. Or this person is at home waiting for you. Or I love you and I died for you on the cross. Father, speak to us where we are tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.